I'm Richard Dockram, and I'm a writer and consultant trying to make the world better. I run the fundraising and social change agency ChangeStar, and I'm the founder of the not-for-profit Life Squared. In this podcast series, I talk to people who are making the world better, not just those tackling big issues at a global scale, but also those working at a local level or in less obvious areas too, from academia to teaching. The aim is not to explore people's personal stories, as there are plenty of other podcasts that do this. Instead, I want to find out more about the issues that these people are working on, how they approach them, and why they matter. In the end, I want to show the extraordinary range of different ways in which people are trying to make things better. In this episode, I speak to Tim Walker. Tim is a direct response copywriter and campaigner. Tim's been a colleague and friend of mine for many years and is the founder of the fundraising agency TWCAT, now called On Agency, and is a member of my team at ChangeStar. He has had decades of success in helping charities and other good causes to raise more funds and build stronger campaigns by communicating better with the public and their supporters. This is an aspect of the work of charities and political causes that is often not seen by the public, yet it can be critical to how well they are able to achieve the change they are seeking. A lot of people work in the social change sector simply to help charities get their message across to people, and Tim is one of the most knowledgeable people doing this. In this chat, I'll talk to Tim about the work he does, why it matters, and some of his biggest successes. I'll be back with you at the end to reflect on a few things from the conversation. But here's my chat with Tim. So, Tim, what do you do? I'm a kind of writer. I write material that will encourage people to take action, whether it's giving me a donation or taking some sort of campaigning action. It's a communication that is asking people to take action and there are there are certain ways that you need to go about it if you want to be effective and if you want them to, to take action. So we'll talk about those in a, in a little bit, but I wonder if we could kind of go back to the start really and why does fundraising matter? What impact does it have on people's lives? And this may be a very simple, sort of obvious question, but I think it's a good starting point for this conversation. Well, without funds, an organisation can't do anything. And the more funds they have, the more they can do, as long as those funds are used in an effective way. So the funds provide the leverage for the, for the action. And is there anything about, say, direct response fundraising that makes it particularly useful or effective as a part of the fundraising mix for a charity or a cause? Well, you can get a lot of people to take an action to give a donation at a particular point, so it can turn an idea into a reality very quickly. So what media and what sort of areas of of work does direct response fundraising cover? Well, direct response fundraising, it covers online media, uh, it covers newspapers, magazines and direct mail, so that's when you send letters to people with a specific request. It can also cover leaflets that you can that you can pick up at certain points or that put through your door, uh, or unaddressed mail that is delivered either by the Royal Mail or a delivery company. It can involve, you know, if you're on in London on the tube and you see the adverts on the the escalator and they may you know they may have a phone number to call. It's almost any media that you can use um, that will enable you to respond immediately. So can you tell us more about the specific work you do? 
So you said that you uh, write copy for things. Are there other things that you've done within direct response work, so perhaps beyond fundraising as well? Well, some campaigning, particularly in the period sort of leading up to the, the Iraq war, so being sort of part of a movement to encourage people to put pressure on, on the government uh, and to fund adverts and conveying the, the anti-war message and then various other campaigns. I think certainly for the Iraq war thing, you, you did more than just a campaign. I mean, you set up a campaigning organisation which you could almost describe as the precursor to 38 degrees, couldn't you really? Um, yeah, in some ways. So it was a sort of mixture of on and offline activity. We built a sort of base of supporters through press adverts, mainly full-page press adverts in cases like The Guardian, The Independent, Big Issue, Private Eye. Was this just on a was this on a range of issues, or was it primarily on? Well, it started on the Iraq War, but it's sort of the idea of giving people a voice when governments or sort of large corporate interests were doing things that were basically against the interests of most people. And how were you able to measure the impact that you had on the world and on people's lives, and what impact did you have? It's very difficult to actually measure the impact. I mean, I know that we got a lot of people involved and sort of the aim really was to get those people who are kind of almost in the middle and to reach them because, well, it's been my view is that a lot of activist organisations fail because they only really speak to the, the fully converted. But there are other people who have sympathy with the objectives, but the message isn't really put through to them. So that's sort of why we were aiming to use particularly press adverts to try and reach out to some of these people. And, you know, these are the people that sort of tip the balance there, like the, I hate sort of using sort of marketing jargon, but there's sort of the demographic that, you know, if a party wants to re win an election, then they also need to bring those people on. Sort of the swing voters, the marginal kind of, kind of swing voters, you know, who you know, they they just need a, a bit of persuasion, a bit, of, and and then they would be on side. That's an interesting thought. So for the, for that group of people, did you use a particular sort of communication strategy or a different approach to how you talked about the work? Well, just tried not to use the sort of lefty campaigning jargon, basically, although it's a very sort of emotive issue and emotion plays a key. Part, but not to use language which is sort of weighted. To put it in a way that is accessible to people, sort of language yeah. you'd use in daily life. Yeah, language you'd use in, in daily life and not like the sort of whether we, you know, we don't often realise it, but we're sort of often we're talking in a kind of code that other people don't, they don't understand because they're not part of the sort of activist community. So what is your approach to the work that you do? Obviously, we've worked together for many years, decades, in fact. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And um, I know that you have in your mind sort of an approach that you use that's been very successful in your work. Could you perhaps sort of describe what that is? It's based on authenticity. A lot of people, you know, who are involved in marketing, they get very excited about bright, sort of spangly objects, kind of gimmicky approach occasionally these sort of gimmicky kind of approaches do work but as a general rule kind of authentic so it's just like a communication from from one person to another and we're not trying to make it sound too much like advertising 
what's the rationale behind why you do it like that? Because it actually works better. That's why actually people have a sense of authenticity and they respond better to that. So that's certainly what, what we found um, when we had a sort of marketing agency when we were working for a variety of charity clients what we found was that sometimes the the charities would use another agency and then there'd be what's called a head-to-head test so we do half fundraising the other agency would do the other half so essentially they you'd split the supporter base the group of yeah, supporters that you're yeah, mailing to one yeah. half would go to one agency one yeah would go to another. yeah and then compared the results and that was the way that we got a lot of our custom and I don't think we were ever beaten by another agency in fact we got in some instances we got you know two or three times the income and it's just through using a more authentic approach it's like if you're doing direct mail then not having some sort of flashy slogan on the outer envelope but just a sort of fairly plain envelope and just making the letter look like a, a letter and if you're using materials to illustrate the cause whether it's third world development or some sort of environmental organisation, then just simply reproducing an email from a field director in Indonesia or somewhere in Sumatra. So you basically you want to make it look like it's a communication from one person at the charity to the actual individual in their house at home, isn't it? Sort of that one-to-one communication. That's right, yeah. I mean, ideally, you know, the charity would be able to do that in person, but of course that's not possible on on scale and I think that's always been the challenge and I think when we go into clients change start I think one of the things I try and replicate is this idea of you know, the ideal situation is that you have a direct conversation yeah. with every single person yeah. that you're yeah. supporting but you can't do that so how do you make things at greater scale as personal as you possibly can yeah you sort of you look through the materials the communications that the charities had with the uh, you know the field directors or you know, sort of reports they've produced and simply replicate those and send them out with a, you know, with a cover letter from the director or the relevant person. Could you give a couple of examples of what you think are some of the best fundraising like this using this approach that you've done or that you've seen? So, for example, um, I'm thinking about a charity that works with disabled people and they needed to uh, refurbish one of their centers so it was simply a case of sending getting some photos of it as it existed annotating the photos to show where the refurbishment activities needed to happen and and uh, copying a plan that had been prepared for them by some architects and also annotating that so and then putting that with a cover letter from the director of, of the, the charity and that did that storm that did very well the way you put it there, it makes you make it sound very, very simple. You make it sound like an easy task, but actually beneath the bonnet there are there's there's quite a lot more complexity, isn't there? And I wonder if you could explain some of the other principles of good direct response fundraising. So I mean some of the things that I immediately come to my mind are being able to talk about the need very clearly, making it quite tangible and telling stories. I wonder if you could maybe just talk a little bit about at least maybe you know, one or two of those things. Yeah. For sure. I mean, so, you know, sort of plan and the photos, it sounds fairly dry. But the key to getting people to donate is is the emotion. And that really comes through the letter, the cover letter, and using stories of people who will benefit. It's kind of a sort of before, 
and after. So the actual impact that the, the refurbishment will have on their lives. Um, you know, so in this instance, it was there were going to be some new therapy rooms. Yeah, it's having the emotion and then being really specific about how the individual's donation will help bring this to life, make it reality and, and change people's lives. And at the centre of all of this, I think, as we're saying, is stories. And yeah. it's about being able to align the the message that you're making, the need, with to be able to sort of identify an individual yeah. to focus on. Because if you talk about lots of different people at the same time, then that's not something that registers with people and they can't really empathise with a big group, can they? And it's actually this idea of if you focus on one person and their story, that's how you get them to really understand the narrative and understand what the need truly is. Absolutely. It's sort of hardwired into our psychology, really, and the focus on, on one person and, and their stories. It, it has much more impact. And one of the things about direct response advertising is that you can you can test. So you can do, you could do a letter with, let's say, two or three case studies, and you can do a letter with one case study, and you do a sort of statistically valid split, and then you can see which will work better. And it's always the the one case study that raises more money. Can you tell us some of the campaigns or appeals that you're most proud of to have worked on and to have developed? Yeah, Fauna and Thor International. One of the first campaigns was for the Cross River gorilla which is like severely threatened and we did some full page adverts in the telegraph and in the independent so with a lot of detail and with very specific examples of how donations could help it's sort of what we call an advertorial approach so it's not sort of flashy at all it's not a flashy advert it's just done it basically looks like almost like part of the newspaper so it's, it's designed for the, the font and its presentation to look as close it as possible. To look as close as, as possible. And then it's with a, a response coupon and a phone number. And that was phenomenally successful. And then we tried some other adverts like Sumatran Tigers, for example. And the, those were really successful as well. What do you think it was about them that made them so successful? What, what, was, what was the approach behind them that you think really struck a chord? It was providing a lot of context, so really giving the reader like the full picture so they could really understand the devastation that these creatures were experiencing and then the solution that FFI, Born on Floor International, had come up with. So I think that's why they were successful. But one of the important things about direct response advertising is that often what we call long copy works better than short copy like the sort of common perception is that oh that advert's far too long no one will read it uh, or that letter is kind of a problem that a lot of charities have that when it gets to the chief executive and they'll say no that's far too long you know no no one will will read it but we know for sure that it is actually the longer copy the longer letters uh, even sort of six or eight sides that will raise more money and get more responses and we know this through testing. We like know this, it through like, testing, yeah. Like you said earlier, the yeah. ability to actually test things and yeah. to have a look at the, the numbers and the number yeah. of people who responded to something. Yeah. yeah. 
So there's sort of an underlying reality there. And what it comes down to is that the people who are really interested will actually read all of the material and it will motivate them to give more money. What are the biggest challenges that you face in your work? Uh, the biggest challenges are like getting good case studies, good stories, because they're central to almost all fundraising. Why do you think it's a challenge for some charities to find those case studies? Well, often, you know, the staff are, are overworked, you know, they're sort of under, under-resourced and there's a time thing there, but it's, it's worth investing a lot of time in getting those case stories and giving the writer sort of access to, to interview people if possible. And you need, you, know, you need to spend some time with someone because it's like the full details don't usually come out immediately. It takes some time. If you're interviewing someone, then they need to sort of relax properly. And once they start to relax, then it's like the, the really interesting stuff comes out. And it kind of it adds to the whole authenticity because people say things in a way that you could never make up as a, as a writer. They, you know, they just formulate words and, and that gives added authenticity to, to the material that you're producing. How could this work be applied further, do you think, to make the world better or make people's lives better? I think a lot of political and campaigning organisations don't really have a full understanding of how direct response marketing can help. One of the principles that we talk about is that if it's in fundraising, uh, sort of 80% of the income will come from 20% of the people. This is the Pareto principle. It's called the Pareto principle. Yeah, so by sort of focusing on finding that 20% and focusing on that 20% rather than pushing money at the full 100%, you you discover the people who will A, they'll give more and they'll do more campaigning and it gives the organisation more leverage if they can sort of identify these people, the 20% who will take 80% of the action. So do you think these, whether it's environmental or social justice organisations, yeah. pe- people seeing a more, seeking a more progressive future, do you think they could use these principles more effectively? For sure they could, yeah, for sure they could. I mean, one, one of the things that I'm doing at the moment, which is it's not sort of directly fundraising or campaign related, but it's we're sort of identifying people who are interested in specific products. So we might just identify you know, 60 or 80 people, but finding that those 60 or 80 people actually were raising more money from them than from failing several thousand people. So if you can identify those really sort of active people, it's quite amazing what you can do, both in fundraising and activism. What do you think is going to happen in this area of fundraising and campaigning in the future, say in the next 10 years? The media is developing at an incredible pace and there are new sort of advertising opportunities opening up. And those opportunities, they are great for a while, but then response diminishes. So, for example, Facebook advertising used used to get a really good return on investment and now that's diminishing. And then Facebook introduced... Uh, so you could advertise via their messenger service and now that's sort of diminishing and now the, the next thing is sort of 
uh, WhatsApp. So you've got these sort of new media and you've got to be right on the ball, but also actually some of the old media is working just as well, if not better, because most people are sort of focusing on, you know, say on email. So you tend to get less letters through the post, but those letters that do come through maybe get a bit more attention. So there are still a lot more opportunities in the old media if you're into fundraising. I think one of the big mistakes that a lot of activist organisations make is that they are just, they do everything purely online. But they're missing a lot of people because not everyone is online. And also this is something else that's sort of been proved by testing that people are still much more responsive to offline uh, media. So they're more responsive to a letter through the post than, than an email, for example. So you think there'll always be a future for letters through the post? I can't say there'll always be a future, but certainly, you know, for the next sort of 20 or 30 years, I would think there would be. So that was my conversation with Tim Walker. Many thanks to him for giving his time. Listening to our chat again, I think it acts as a really good introduction to how to write effective copy for fundraising appeals or campaigns. Hopefully it will be of use for anyone listening who needs to encourage people to take action for their cause. But I also hope it was interesting for you if you aren't involved in this area of work yourself, as I think it's always fascinating to look under the bonnet of things that we take for granted. One of those things is how charities actually get people involved in their work. There's often the view among the public that charities shouldn't spend any money on fundraising or communicating with the public, as all their money should be going towards the cause itself. But what was clear from my conversation with Tim was that it's not that simple. Good causes have to invest in communicating and fundraising, otherwise their charity won't get any support and won't survive, however noble and important its aims are. So we should be happy to let charities invest in fundraising and communications, as long as they spend it wisely, of course as it's part of the cause and essential to it being able to achieve its aims. Anyway, thanks for listening. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast as we've got loads more great guests coming up in the next few episodes, from an academic trying to improve life for older people through to someone who's trying to get the world to eat more insects as a sustainable and healthy food source. See you in the next podcast in two weeks' time.